Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Metsian folk. This is the uh, Converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here with uh, a Metsian podcast. Uh, it's we, we got a new theme song going, guys. Uh, uh, before we introduce everybody, I just wanted to say something about this song. Uh, it was composed by Adam Spiegel for my movie, uh, The Newest Breed, A History and Guide to the Mets Fan. And uh, part one is now out, and this is, uh, I won't, I think you can probably figure out which section of the movie this most likely uh, is referring to. And uh, without further ado, um, after that uh, awesome, shameless plug, and uh, this will now be our theme song on a Mets game podcast uh, for the foreseeable future, I will bring on my uh, compadres, my Metsian compadres uh, uh, here, and that uh, will start with uh, Rich Sparago in Connecticut. I believe you're probably in Connecticut right now. What's going on, Rich? Uh, doing well here, Sam, um, and uh, absolutely I'm glad you put the plug in for the movie, and uh, doing well here in Connecticut. I was actually down in spring training last week, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that, but uh, Things are going well. Well, things are well for me. I'm not sure how well things are going in Port St. Lucie, but I think that's a topic of what we wanted to talk about. For certain, I think there's uh, not just us who are, are going to want to, uh, you know, basically uh, be May in March, if you will. Uh, um, but before we, we go there, let's bring on Mike LeColon of Bensonhurst, of course. What's going on, Mike? How you doing today? What's happening, guys? Just another uh, chilly day in the city, I guess. As always, as always. And, and everybody, just to let you know, this will not be uh, playing out uh, every time like this, but we just felt like we needed to to, uh, to let it sink in, all that, that 80s joy uh, there. And um, let's, let's loop back around to you, Rich, because you mentioned spring training. You mentioned being down there. And I think, you know, in in your own beautiful way, as you always do in setting the scene, if you can set your own personal scene down there and uh, how that, what you saw uh, down there, and, and, you know, with the mix of, of uh, news that we're hearing right now. Well, you know, it's interesting, Sam, and it's really a juxtaposition because I, I went to the game last Sunday sitting basically behind the plate, you know, undercover. So if for those who have been to Port St. Lucie to a tradition field or first day to field, you know, insert your name here field, um, it's, you have some shaded seats right behind the plate in the second deck, and that's where we sat. And so DeGrom takes them out, and he came out throwing bullets. You know, he struck out the side in the first inning, struggled a little bit in the second inning, rebounded beautifully in the third. And so what does this all mean? Well, you're thinking, I think he threw about 55 pitches. And you're thinking, okay, well, DeGrom looks great, right? So now, now I'm excited. Now, now this is great. And, and so in that same game, bottom of the first, Cespedes, and, and I think this home run has been all over Twitter and every social media. And if you notice, Lance McCullers tweeted it, which I thought was hysterical. Lance McCullers threw the pitch. And he's like, as soon as Cespedes hit it, I knew it was going to be all over social media. And I, I thought that was hysterical, that he used his own Twitter account and attached a video. So anyway, so Cespedes hits an absolute laser beam over the left center field fence, and you're thinking, well, now I'm even more excited. The ground looks great. Cespedes is hitting ropes. What can be better? But then the juxtaposition starts. You know, then you realize that Cespedes took the plate in that game, 
with an ailing wrist, and and he had a cortisone shot. And you're like, oh, well, that, that, that's not so good, is it? And so now you hear about Vargas, and I know we'll get into that. And so you hear about Vargas, and you hear about guys, you're reminded that guys have turned ankles on sprinklers. And um, and I'm going to... I'm going to steal something that, that one of my colleagues said earlier today as we were preparing for the show. It really is, it was a temporary moment of elation with DeGrom and Cespedes and all of that. And then it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's the same old crap. You know, it's injuries. It, it's injuries not being reported. It's freak stuff. It's, I don't know. So, so that's, that's my summary. It was great for a brief moment, essentially. But then the reality that, these are still the Mets, and for some reason, it seems like the problems that were there are still here, and so it's very much a juxtaposition of emotion. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I mean, Mike, you can't imagine you can't you can't see this thing just being able to change overnight. Obviously, that's kind of what we want to happen, but it's got to be a process. Yeah, without a doubt, and I can't add much more than what Rich said, uh, other than, uh, you know, it's uh, somewhat of a confusing time, for all the reasons that Rich mentioned. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to see some of these things get ironed out, and I'd like to see some things take a complete 180 from the way it used to be. Uh, so a, a little a little, a little bewildering, I guess, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in seeing some of these uh, problems dissipate. Uh, I, I'd like to be able to open up the season, you know, uh, relatively uh, cleanly, so to say. So, a little bit of concern, not too much. Spring training is what it is. Uh, and these injuries, mm, don't quite know what to make of it. Really. Rich, we're getting to the point of spring training where, and I think it's literally – something they actually need to look into, especially considering the issue with spilling over into November. Uh, but we're basically getting into the part of spring training where both the fans and the players just want to get going. And do they really need this much time? And in doing so, can't you potentially cut down spring training? Um, I mean, I understand there's winter weather, winter weather to worry about in certain places, uh, but don't you think they, without actually cutting down the schedule, which could be an option, uh, don't you think they can maybe move this thing back a little bit? And, and you know, so we're, we're having, uh, you know, the last game of the World Series is never after October 31st. You know, that's been talked about for a long time, and, it, and Keith is a huge advocate. He thinks two weeks is plenty for everyone. He doesn't think that, um, you know, four weeks of spring training games, even four weeks plus, is um, four weeks would be a requirement to get ready. And you really think about it, and you think he's got a really good point, you know, because these guys are human beings. The human arm only has so many pitches in it. You know, they, they wear down no matter what kind of shape they're in. So what if you started the first spring training game on March 15th or March 13th, you know, and because I think now we're in an era where we're going to see the season starting April 1st-ish, in, into perpetuity because they want to give the four extra days, you know, off during the season. So that means starting a little bit earlier. So you still have your 162 games, but you know, but you're, you're having the four extra off days. So anyway, um, first spring training game, March 13th, 14th, 15th, something like that. Cut it down a little bit. Let these guys keep something in the tank. Maybe they show up March 1st, 
you know, you work out for two weeks, two weeks of games, bing, bang, you go. And, um, yeah, I, I think that does make sense as long as the people who have played the game seem to say that that is enough, and a lot of them do say that it is. I'm going to go with that. Um, and I think we all know why there's four weeks of spring training games. We, we all know exactly why. It's a huge moneymaker. You know, you go down there. People love it. You know, you, you plan your kid's vacation around it. You, you go down to Florida. Maybe you do Disney, and, you know, you do spring training. And the extra two weeks of games – and challenge me, guys, if you disagree, but I, I don't think it's about getting ready. I think it's about opportunity to sell more tickets, more parking, you know, more concessions, all of it. So, um, so yeah, there's an element of, um, of uh, you know, of money involved for sure, and it, the reason there are four weeks of games probably is not so much about the players needing all four weeks to get ready. That's a great point, um, but think – Think about it like this, and I'm going to – and we're really going, you know, I kind of like tangents anyway. Um, go to the wild card game and multiply that by potentially one extra game or another extra game. Make it a three-game series, and there's your – there's how you make up your revenue because how much – and I guess it has to do with the complex and, you know, it's kind of almost like the Disney world of each team uh, when you think about it in some fashion, but, um, you know, I'm sure they can make it up with selling a, a more of a fair play with the wild card game, even though in some fashion I like that one, uh, the one game play in. But at the same time, when you look at, at how everything you, you can extend, you maybe even subtract a couple games from the season because you'll make it up ex- exponentially with everything else, except for, I guess, um, it's only those, two teams or four teams but anyway uh mike you know going off on on all those different directions and responding to what rich said you know what what, what do you think of all that and and if you want to start with the playoff uh the wild card game i'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say on that uh with regard to the wild card you know it, it's finally gotten to a point where um, i'm satisfied with it i think it should be uh, uniquely difficult for them to advance. I, I like the win, one win and in, uh, and they should never get home field advantage as far as I'm concerned. There's something to be said for winning your division that should be rewarded. And, you know, the way they used to have it where the wild card was on equal footing, no, I didn't particularly like that. So if you're going to be a wild card, you should have the stack deck, you know, the, the deck stacked against you. Uh, with regards to spring training, you know, at the end of the day, I, Buffy is right. Ultimately, capitalism rules the day. Uh, there's no avoiding it. Uh, these guys aren't voluntarily, you know, aren't voluntarily going to be willing to give up money. You know, it's as simple as that. Uh, back in the old days, you know, guys needed spring training to get in shape. But, you know, in the modern day, these guys are in supreme condition year-round. Uh, so basically what you're coming into camp for is to work on technique and, you know, getting timing down and, you know, working out kinks and, and, and you know, shedding rust. So can they shorten the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League by, by you know, X amount of games? Sure. Uh, but as both of you pointed out, I don't think they will. Uh, can spring training as a whole be shortened? Yeah, perhaps they can uh, come at a later time. Uh, and, and I think if anything's going to influence that, it's going to be the World Baseball Classic, because uh, teams less and less are willing to have, you know, that bleed into spring training. 
So I, I think they're still going to tinker with that, and we might see a, a change in, in the number of days that camp is open. Uh, but otherwise, you know, uh, I'm resistive to a three-game series for the wild card. And, uh, you know, spring training, I'm not too high on any changes. Man. And like I said, capitalism rules the day. I have a feeling they're going to try to find some balance eventually. I mean, you know, Manfred is, is trying to make his mark. Uh, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of incomplete right now. We don't even need to go on that tangent. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what uh, is collectively bargained soon. So I think it's rant time uh, right now. Let's uh, let's bring on one of the, the specials, the, the staples of uh, – First, the Rising Apple Report, and now a Messian podcast. That is uh, L.I. Mike, Mr. Weatherman. What's going on? Yep. And first of all, I want you to tell us the forecast of the Mets and the forecast of the actual weather as well. <laughs> well, for this season, the Mets are going to go 62 and 100. And <laughs> for the weather this coming week, a possible snowstorm. You know, I'm going to call 120 losses. Why not? Why not go complete full circle, Mike? Why don't we really, yeah, just really, yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe they, really, uh, you know, kind of have the forest fire and, and let it let us grow from the ashes. Yeah, you got people tripping over sprinklers in spring training. What else can possibly go wrong? Well, well, go ahead, man. Uh, you know, rant away, dude. A rant is definitely not less than 30 seconds. Yeah, so Mets are going to go, what's that, 62-100. Cespedes is going to tear his hamstring. Conforto's going to set a major setback. Uh, Thor's going to tear his UCL. DeGrom's going to tear his UCL. And Callaway, at the end of the year, is going to be fired as manager. (laughs) And it's going to be a national game. Will it be be snowing the whole time? I hope so, because I love snow. I wish. (laughs) Touche, touche. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a okay, National well, Yankees World before, Series. Nationals Yankees World Series, which prob- might be worse than Phillies Yankees World Series. Um, uh, do you have any questions for for the team before we let you go, bro? Yeah, what are your guys' predictions? I'll jump in. Um, I see the Mets actually turning heads in a positive way, and – I'm going to, for some reason, 88 and 74 sticks in my mind. And um, I'm not sure if that's good enough for the playoffs or not, uh, but we'll see. But 88 and 74 seems right to me for the following reasons. The the Mets have improved their ball club. And, you know, it's funny, and we'll get to Vargas later, but with Vargas being hurt, the rotation of of DeGrom, Syndergaard, uh, Harvey, Wheeler and Matz will probably be the starting five. And if, and if it's a big word, those guys stay healthy, I'm, find me a team that's five deep like that. And so, yeah, they're not perfect. That's why they're going to lose 74 games. That's why it might not be enough. But I do think they're going to have a decent season. I really do. Mike? Crazy as it sounds, I'm just – the losses are not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, that being said, I go by the old 
uh, Earl, we were saying that every team is going to lose 60 games and win 60 games. It's what they do with the other 42 games that matters. Uh, that being said, if the Mets pitchers stay healthy and, and we get some timely hitting, uh, then I'm with Rich. You know, 88 wins sounds very, very reasonable and very realistic at that. So uh, that's where I am, you know. But 62 and 100, you know, all we need is another trio of key injuries, and, and there we are. So not out of the question. It's not hyperbole. Uh, but I, I'm with Rich in this in, in, in this instance. Mike, I'd like to quote for you, in total shameless plug here, Greg Prince in The Newest Breed. He said, the Mets are not good at guarding the gates. They are better at storming the castle. So, interpret that as you will. Thanks for calling in, Ben. Thank you for having me. Gentlemen, Rich, I'm going to I'm going to have you go from there. <laughs> well, you know, that's I I've never heard it put quite like that. I've heard that phrase but never about the Mets and I'm processing it as we speak. And I think yeah, I I think I get it. You know, I I think the Mets are good at making us mad and and we kind of live off of that and and that's Met fandom right there is you know, we like to storm the castle and um and it seems like we're in a perpetual state of um of unsettledness, if that's a word, as fans, and the organization is too. And it just seems like, other than 86, Mike, and I know you, know, you, know, you and I have been around longer, things never really go smoothly for this franchise. And that's why 86 and, yes, 88 as well, and even 2006 until we know what happened, it, it was those were rare events for the Mets organization where nothing really went wrong. You know, they went out there and they, they played well all year, no major nonsense, you know, other than the uh, the Miami thing with the relief pitcher there, um, Duan or Sanchez, you know, but other than that in, in 06, generally smooth water is not associated with this organization. And, um, and maybe that's just the way it's destined to be. You know, maybe Greg's right. Maybe storming the castle is perpetuity for this team. <laughs> And to elaborate on that before you pick it up, Mike, um, just just because I know I said I was going to be a little coy about it to Mike, but but uh, I'll say Long Island Mike. But uh, you know, I I think that's why with the 2018 team, you know, they're total after uh, you know not fulfilling the 2015 promise in the last two years. I think maybe the entire league and not necessarily the actual players on the field because. I think the reason why the the Mets were beaten in the years where they've lost a lot, uh, you know, in the, where they didn't lose 90 games, but they, they teetered on it uh, these, these past few, you know, this last decade. Um, I still think, I think the reason why they were beaten the way they are is because teams didn't underestimate them. They knew that, you know, that, that's just how competition works. You shouldn't let your guard down. Um, but I, I, I think that with the 2018 team, after these last two years, Mike, that might be what we have here is once again, just like in 2015, they're in a position to storm the castle. Oh boy. Uh, all right. Uh, sensor alert, sensor alert. The sun shines on a dog's ass at least once a day. 
<laughs> you know, so so if you look at the Mets' success ever since Doubleday and Will Pond took over, they have one World Series championship to show for it. But if you go even as far back as the 90s, once Frank Cashin was ready to step down, that front office was completely dysfunctional. Every day there was a, a you know an article in the papers how the infighting between Jerry Hunsicker, Joe McLevain, uh, Frank Cash, and Al Harrison, it was just nonstop, and that they were all jealous of each other. And then when Cash handed the reins to Al Harrison, how all of them just, you know, flipped their lids. Hunsicker bolted, McLevain bolted, but ultimately Wilpon, you know, begged McLevain to come back. And he did. And, you know, the Wilpons spent an eternity going through familiar in-house names to fill their front office positions, whether they were brought in by Frank Cashin, whom brought in Steve Phillips, whom wound up bringing in Omar Minaya. So that was always a completely in-house matter that ultimately became inbred which made Sandy Alderson a very timely off-campus, you know, relief from the old way of doing things. But we can go step-by-step, year-by-year, and and, and go through the trends and and logically arrive at all the conclusions and, and, and the reasons for which they're in their state of affairs today. Uh, Ponders, yeah. But it's not just since he took over sole ownership of the team, i.e. the Wilpons. But you can go back to the 90s when Cashman was still around and president of operations. And we had all these people in the front offices, you know, that other teams lusted for. They wanted them to be their GMs. And we had them in hand. And somehow, some way, things still managed to go awry. So I don't know what, I don't know what to make of it. But it's been a long time, and, you know, when you play word association and somebody throws Mets at you, one of the top three words you're going to throw back is dysfunction. And it goes back a long, long time. And the more things change. I think the only thing I can really say to that is... Sorry, I was trying to get to the pause a lot quicker, and I had some dysfunction on my own end. Uh, but, hey, you know, that's almost why I I, uh, I sometimes deal with my own dysfunctionality is because I feel like the Mets and I are working through it together. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think that the, the best place to go now is a positive light. Uh, Michael Conforto is on his way to playing uh, a lot more. And... Rich, that's that's just such a great sign. I, I don't think they should be rushing him, but you know when when, I, I, when do you do you just want them to still hold that May first deadline or what? Yeah, you know that that's the dangerous part, Sam. Is that it's a double edged sword because while he's playing the field and he's swinging bats and you know in B B squad games and that all sounds good and he's saying he's 
almost ready and he feels great and all that stuff, that's the concern, right? The concern is rushing this guy back, and then we go right back to the storming the castle. What Mike was saying um, is the dysfunction in the organization. Let's face it, this team has a history of mishandling injuries and for the wrong reason. So what we hope doesn't happen is they say, oh, okay, um, let's get Conforto out there April April 5th because we want to make sure we sell some tickets for those cold midweek games, and then the guy hurts himself again. You know what I mean? So, so it, it, with the, you want to say this is good news. This is great. He's healing. The guy's a great player, fantastic. But that, that other side of your brain is, you know, these are the Mets. They mishandle these things. Don't mess with this kid. So to answer your question – I'd rather run it May 1st, let him come along slowly. If, you, if it's April 20th, great. But please, for the love of all that's holy, don't rush this kid back. I can't really see uh, – I really can't see a scenario where Mike thinks they should rush him back. But, Mike? <laughs> well, Rich is right. Haste makes waste. There's no reason for them – to appear desperate right off the bat. Not when you have Brandon Nimmo, and not when you have Juan Lagares, who can fill in the position very well. So there's no reason to bring him back anytime soon prior to him saying, well, you know what? Sometimes you shouldn't even, sometimes you shouldn't listen to players because they just want to play. They just want to get back. Sometimes they're truthful, sometimes they're not. Leave it up to the doctors and leave, leave it up to his rehabilitation performance. You know, and then when he seems ready, you integrate him back into the lineup. But there's none, absolutely no reason to bring this back, to bring him back, you know, soon, anytime soon. May 1st is fine with me. Let's remember what he's recovering from. So it would be, it, it'd be, to put it frankly, stupid to flirt with disaster like that. I'm already, you know, peeved that he's playing center field as opposed to one of the corner positions. So let's not even <laughs> go there. So let's not let's not compound the situation by bringing him back early. Please, for my well-being. But let's also loop back around to the team that we're dealing with here. And, uh, Rich, in your heart of hearts, what do you think is going to happen? I think they're going to rush him back. Um, I think you'll <laughs> They will, right? I mean, Mark, you heard it here at 227 by my clock on our podcast. I think they're going to rush him back. I think you're going to see him playing by that second week of the season, their first road trip. Um, I really think you're going to see that. You know, maybe sometime that week, maybe even that weekend. I know they go to Washington um, and they have a Sunday night game that second week of the season. So, um, but I think you're going to see him playing by then. I really do. Um, and I'm with Mike and Sam. I want to hear your opinion too. But I'm with Mike. I think the right thing to do is to wait. But I, old habits die hard. I just see them mismanaging this. Remember what Pedro Martinez wrote in his book oh, yeah. about when he played with the Mets that for as long as the doctors gave the okay, Jeff Wilpon insisted he pitch for the sake of the gate, if nothing else. And Pedro would say, no, I'm not ready yet. But, you know, Jeff would 
take the doctor's opinion first and foremost above that of the players. Now, that's what he wrote in his book. Since then, you know, let history speak for itself. I, I, um, sometimes I fall in the middle of it is like, if he is actually healthy enough, then yeah, he should be playing. He should be, you know, we, we shouldn't be babying these guys going back to that. Uh, but it's a great, it's a great area. And, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to fall into hypocritical territory with, when, when thinking it out, but that's why it's, it is such, such, uh, an interesting thing to debate for sure. I, I think that May 1st is fine with me. I am really gung-ho to see uh, Brandon Nimmo get his chance because I think I think the guy has – if, if we think he might be behind a little bit in talent, he might make up for all of that with just plain old spunk and heart. And it just might be one of those classic situations. And, and uh, I'll loop to you, Rich, here. Uh, and, and we're going to segue to the outfield. That's great. That's a great complete segue. Um, I, I think that Brandon Nemo should get his chance, and it may end up being hard to get him out of that lineup. No, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think when I hear people hating on Nemo, I, I look at them like, what? I mean, what, what is he? What has he done wrong? The guy, he, he for a young guy, he filled in off the bench beautifully in 16. He did everything he was asked to do in 17. And the guy gets on base, he plays hard, he's a good defender. It's like, what, why do people have something against this kid? I don't get it. And, but I do think he, he deserves a shot, yes. And I know you said you wanted to get to the outfield, and I think one of the things we should talk about, if I could cue that up a little bit and almost ask you, know, you two guys for reaction, is we're hearing now of potential Ligaris trades, and um, we're hearing of potential Montero trades. I'm wondering if maybe they can send them both to one place and get something decent in return. But anyway... What do we do with the outfield? Because Nimmo seems to have earned it. Um, I agree with Mike 100%. I do think the the outfield needs to be Cespedes, Nimmo, or a center fielder, and Conforto and Wright with Bruce at first. I, I do think that has to be the plan going forward, given the current construct of the roster. And as much as I like Juan Ligaris, I think he's a good soldier. Um, and he's done what the organization has asked him to do, and he's won a gold glove and all that, um, it's probably time to move on. I mean, there's no – if he has value to somebody else, sometimes a player's value to your organization is more by getting that player off your roster to another organization, getting something you actually need back. The Mets have a logjam right now they have to solve. They have too many guys for too few positions. And if Ligaris has to be the odd man out, you know what? He's gotten a few chances. He hasn't really, you know, put a firm hold on the role. Maybe it's time to move on from Ligaris and see if you can get something decent in return, something usable, I should say. Um, so maybe that's where they are. You know, maybe that's what has to happen because right now they they have too many round pegs and squares hole, square holes going on, but I'm anxious to hear what you guys have to say about that. Mike, I'm going to let you take that one first. Well, that's part of my problem with this team being poorly constructed up the middle, catcher second, short, center field. Uh, I, you know, Rich gets it right. I wouldn't mind seeing Bruce play first base because I don't think Gonzo's going to work out. Uh, nope. I just don't. 
Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't mind going through the whole season. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going through the season with the platoon of Nemo and Ligaris. Uh I'm in no I'm in no rush to trade Ligaris. Now, if we can package him in a deal and get a legitimate center fielder slash leadoff hitter in return, I'm all for it. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I, I'm prepared to go into the season with a, a Conforto Nemo platoon if Conforto, you know, gets to play right. His his more comfortable position. Uh, so that's where I am with that. Uh, my my issue lies more with being strong up the middle. You know, and center field is definitely part of that. And I'd like to see them straight, straighten that out. Uh, I'm not, I don't like, uh, the Mets have a bad habit of playing people out of position. And, and that, you know, that's on Sandy Alderson. Poor yeah, mercy. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, I, had, I, had, uh, I had something in my throat. But but you're right. You're absolutely right. And to me, that's on Sandy Alderson for poor team construction. Uh, let's face it, he's putting all his marbles into this pitching jar. Uh, and, and he'll just hope for the best with these eight positional players, no matter how, how well or, or well not they fit. So, you know, that's where I am. Uh, but if Lagares can be something that brings back, a, a again, a legitimate center fielder slash leadoffer, I'm all for it. But I'm prepared to go into the season with, with – with a platoon of Nimmo and, and Lagares, I like Nimmo. I'm high and I'm so high. Uh, I'm I'm higher than a Colorado pot dispensary on Brandon Nimmo. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> that's how high I'm. I, I, you know, he, he always seems <laughs> he, he always seems to I'll be in you, the I'll middle. I'll tell you something. Brandon Nimmo's you know? not high on though. I'll tell you something. No, I hope not, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know where I'm coming from. So I I, I like Nimmo, and I'm glad. You know, Sandy Alderson said what he did during the offseason and, and, you know, did not want to include him in any trade. Uh, refresh my memory on whom that might have been for. That was probably for the potential Andrew McCutcheon deal then, right? It was, yes. Yeah, so I'm glad Sandy Alderson took that stance. I'm glad Brandon Numo is, is a Met today. And uh, he's going to surprise people. That's just my gut feeling. He's going to surprise people. That's my gut feeling, too. And I think that's actually an interesting segue, too, uh, Rich, you had mentioned about, you know, bring, talking about the whole Jason Kipnis thing again. And I will start with this. I'm glad they didn't make that trade. And go with, with it where you want, Rich. Well, you know, that that's a tough one because I didn't realize what a bad – until I looked at the stats, I didn't realize what a bad season he had last year. I mean, he had something like two, 227 or something like that, and – and he he's one of those guys. He plays every day. You know, he's thirty-ish, and and he's starting to decline. And so you wonder, you know, do you want to give up a lot of quality for this guy, who I also believe was going into the last year of his contract? And but then again, then the other side of your brain, the other side of my brain, says, but it's Kipnis. I mean, the guy's a dirt dog. You know, if you remember the Red Sox from the old days, he, he'll he's gritty. He's the kind of player this team really needs because the team doesn't, you know, Mike, doesn't have a Ray Knight type. And, and Kipnis, although he's a lot smaller of stature, is that Ray Knight kind of a gritty guy. So I was really, really on the fence with it. I, I wasn't against it. I wasn't incredibly for it. Um, I know I struggled with it. I really did with the Kipnis thing. And, of course, now he's having a great spring. And those of us who were on the fence or against bringing in Kipnis, you know, we have a little bit of egg on our face, right? Well, Mike, what do you think? Uh, you know, 
about that whole thing in, in terms of ownership nixing it. Obviously, I'm really kind of setting setting off another minefield here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, not not really. It's very simple. Uh, Sandy Alderson was, and this is according to the article I read in in, in Newsday. Sandy Alderson was engaged. Uh, in conversations with the Cleveland Indians over second baseman Jason Kipnis. Uh, Jeff Wilpon nixed the deal. Jason Kipnis is still signed. He's owed $30 million for the next two seasons, and then he has a club option for 2020. Uh, again, it was they they said it was ownership. I'm the one who's saying Jeff Wilpon because he's the CEO. Uh, excuse me, the COO. Uh he nixed the deal, and that's what caused Sandy Alderson to seek alternatives and ultimately wound up signing Todd Frazier for $17 million over two years. And my only real issue is, does that prove or confirm that, no, at the end of the day, Sandy Alderson does not have complete autonomy? That's my question. And that's my real issue with that whole episode, you know, uh, strategy aside. Perhaps you're right, both of you, that uh, maybe he is breaking down and it's not in our best interest and we'll let second base play out the way it will. My particular issue with second base is I wish Dilson Herrera was still here and we never made the trade for Jay Bruce because then Conforto would still be playing right field and, you know, all, all that domino effect type stuff. Uh, but that's the deal with Kipnis, and my my biggest issue is well, does at the end of the day, Sandy also doesn't he in fact have complete autonomy? And for ownership to squash this deal, we know they're in financial trouble. That's no secret. But for them to squash the deal, where does you know what what type of terra firma is Sandy Alderson really standing on? I will uh, end this segment uh, uh, about um, Kipnis with saying that, uh, yeah, we were just praises of Brandon Nemo, and he's having a great spring. But uh, John Buck once had a great spring. Uh, so, well, you know, I think I'll definitely say it's just a wait and see uh, before complete judgment over, over that situation. And uh, here's where I will segue from there. Why are we still talking about Rafael Montero, Rich? <laughs> because he's out of options, Sam, and um, and I think that that's the number one reason. Because the team knows they can't send him down. Well, I, you know what? He might pass through waivers, and he might be able to be outrighted. But when you're out of options, that certainly takes away a course of action. And um, so, really, there are two courses of action. He, he's on the roster opening day, which I think would he'd probably get the Ray Ramirez reaction when they introduce everybody on opening day. Um, so, and he's either on the roster or he's traded because I guess they're reluctant to put him on waivers and somebody gets him for nothing. And, um, yeah, but it's frustrating because he's pitching to a seven-ish ERA in spring training. He just looks really bad. And he hasn't looked good in his entire, you know, glimpses in the major leagues. And so we're still talking about this guy, and he's here. And, and it's kind of a, like, okay, get him off. The, I think the general consensus is 
He's failed in every opportunity he's been given. It's time to move on from this guy. Why the hell is he still around? And they're holding him, holding him, holding him. Uh, Again, I believe for fear of not wanting to put him on waivers and lose him for nothing, of course, I'm not sure what you'll actually get for him in a trade anyway. That's why I'm thinking I wonder if they're going to try to solve two issues in in one fell swoop and maybe trade a Ligaris or, or one of their outfielders, just try to make some room, and Montero somewhere together and try to bring back something useful because there might apparently from what I read the other day or yesterday teams still you know teams still think that there's something to Montero and um, and so you know that he he has some value around the major leagues so which is hard to believe for us who have watched him every day but so maybe they're trying to find somebody who's willing to give something up for him now, I'm going to throw something out there. Mike, you said this, and I, I can't let this go when you, when you gave me the perfect lead-in. Can the Mets get an everyday center fielder and leadoff hitter? So I'd like to throw this out for consideration. Um, I would love to see what it would take to get Billy Hamilton from the Reds. The Reds are clearly rebuilding, clearly. They're tearing it down. I'm looking at Billy Hamilton right now on, on the computer, and he's a free agent after this coming season. Uh, he's arbitration eligible, I should say, after this season. So if you're rebuilding, you have a three- to four-year plan, you probably don't want a lot of arbitration-eligible guys, then guys who are going to be free agents hanging around. Um, he could become your center fielder and leadoff hitter. Uh, if you look at his his statistics, you know, last year, his uh, the sabermetricians will say his OBP isn't what, an, what a leadoff hitter should be. It's around 300, 321 in, in 16. 299 last year. So his OBP is a little, little bit not what you want it to be, but he fits that classic prototype of leadoff hitter. Center fielder, runs like the wind, very good defensively, probably not as good as Ligaris, very good defensively. How would you guys feel about that? I mean, if they were able to, yes, we, we need to talk about Montero still, but my point on Montero is if he could be packaged with something else, maybe something else, bunch of young guys over to the Reds bring in a Billy Hamilton back. There's your center fielder. And uh, Conforto can play right field. Bruce can play first. You dump Gonzalez so you don't owe any money to. So that's my comment on Montero is let's look to move him, and if we need to, um, throw in some other pieces and get something useful back. And I just throw out one possibility. Up On, on to you guys. Mike, what do you think? Billy Hamilton. Uh if I if if I feel like I'm stealing him, go for it. But I can be more patient. I can wait this out. I cannot make this trade. Would I? Sure, like I said. But I, I need to feel like I'm getting the better of the deal, without a doubt. Uh, I can be patient on this. I, I would I I would be patient and try to seek out a better deal. I'm not interested in just making a deal for the sake of making a deal. Because I still believe in that potential platoon of Ligaris and Nimmo. Uh, And I'm not sure that Hamilton by himself could outdo the two. Yeah, with Billy Hamilton, I mean, the speed is just so tempting all the time. But, you know, maybe with both... Rafael Montero in him, it's a change of scenery. I think, obviously, Billy Hamilton has had much more value to him than Rafael Montero, so I don't think that's going to be an even trade, of course. But if we're 
thinking that, you know, in terms of uh, what you were saying, Rich, like just throwing different ideas out there of, of where maybe somebody thinks that they could find value in Rafael Montero and would want to include him in a potential deal for somebody like Billy Hamilton. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like Rafael Montero must feel like he's in baseball purgatory. And he must feel like there's, like, like he just wants to, he just wants them to release. He's not about to, to quit, uh, but he probably, in, in many, many ways, wants to move on. But here the Mets are trying to figure out what to do with him. And, you know, that, that, it, that's that's a little tragic. He's, he, you know, Rafael Montero is a tragic story, and and uh, the Mets have many many a uh, uh, player. You know, obviously, maybe not overall tragic. We don't know or have heard anything regarding regarding him. It's just baseball tragic, really, right now. But uh, I hope they come to some kind of. Uh, I, I I was hoping that the clear the clarity was going to be him pitching well, but unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I'm I know I was just downgrading Jason Kipnis's spring training stats. Uh, but, you know, I think every person, every player is a different story. Uh, uh, so with Montero, you're, you're focusing on many different things, and it's just the, the focus is clearly not there for him. So um, I think that uh, we're going to make it a short one uh, today uh, for, for this spring training, a little, a little quick, uh, quick spring training Sunday podcast uh, Beautiful. I want. I want to uh, uh, just mention one more time. Adam Spiegel. Uh, you can search for him on uh, Adam D. Spiegel at Adam D. Spiegel on Twitter. Uh, the guy is an unbelievable musician. He's got a couple bands out there: Brain Salt, uh, Hide and Seek. Check it out, everybody. Shameless plug for Adam Spiegel doing unbelievable work for uh, both our team and for my movie, The Newest Breed. So uh, thank you to him. That that means. Uh, uh, before I segue to the uh, the final word, um, this pause button not working properly. Dysfunction abound. Dysfunction abound. <laughs> Rich, what is your last word for today? My last word would be um, antsy. I'm antsy for the season to start. I think we all are. And I'm also antsy to see the final pieces of the roster come together, what's going to happen with Montero Ligaris. So I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of fake games that don't count and sick of trying to figure things out. I want to get the roster sorted out and get the season going. Mike? Three words. I don't know. (laughs) How do you like that? I don't know. I don't know. State of confusion, man. I just don't know. I don't know what to make of confusion. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of this crew yet. Temptation. So there I am. I mean, it could be worse. I could be bad from them. Uh, you just made me think of that Temptation song, Ball of Confusion. And I'm sure that there's, uh, you know, had I really gone for it, I probably could have used it at some point in the movie that I was making about the Mets. But <laughs> um, I, I have to say my word is bittersweet. Uh, I'm really excited for the season to start, but unfortunately I will not be in New York City for opening day nor for the majority of the season. I don't know when I'm going to get back there, but, you know, say la vie, life is what it is, and, uh, you know, we're going to we're gonna keep going and getting by. Um, I might hey. be coming back. I might be coming back with my dad uh, uh, sometime in April, potentially. I think that might get set up, but I'll keep you all posted who are looking for me. <laughs> in New York City, which might not be that many people at all. Uh, but 
uh, without further ado, I will bring this podcast to a conclusion. Uh, if you don't mind, always, Sam, one second. Please. Shame on us. Shame on us because we forgot the passing of Ed Charles. So I think I speak on behalf of all of us when, you know, yes. I say we pay our respects and, 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 you know, we offer our thoughts and prayers to his family and his loved ones and friends. Well, I think that, that's I think a good point. We do, have, we do have some time right now. I think our last word overall should be one of my favorite Mets, really. You know, I, I, I love that. That's probably my favorite clip of the post game is when he, he says uh, what he said back in August. Uh, when when uh, October rolls around, the Mets will win, wear the crown east side, west side. And and that's that when I think Ed Charles, I always go right to that. And with you guys having experienced Ed Charles a little bit more than me, I'd like to go over to you, Rich. Well, you know, I, I the sixty nine season is obviously a, a very faint memory. I mean, I I'm a very, very small child at the time and um but what I've heard about Ed Charles and hear people talk about him over the years is he was a piece that was needed. I didn't realize, Mike, he had 15 home runs in 69, and, and he really did. He was a pretty strong contributor. And today I saw on Twitter a Schaefer beer commercial I'd never seen before um, with Ed Charles, Tommy Agee, I think it was Ed Cranepool and one other person. And when you think about that, the reason I bring that up is um, Ed Charles is gone now, Tommy Agee's gone now, um, Tug McGraw's gone now, among others. You know, a lot of these 69 Mets, the, the people that we, that, you know, are symbolic of the franchise, they're really starting to leave us one by one, and, and it's sad. It really is. It, it's, um, that's what I think about. I think about, yes, Ed's, Ed Charles' family and, and, all, and the mourning of his passing, and then from another perspective, I think about how, these guys are human and, and they're dropping off and, and it's, and it's sad. Yeah. Mike, uh, I'd like to go to you for that, for the next word. Um, Ed, Ed Charles should have been one of those people who, who should have had, who should have had a second career at Shea and City Field. He should have had a second career as, as a, as a personality, as a mainstay in the clubhouse, as a mainstay around the Mets. Uh, he was that type of personality. And, you know, you nailed this a couple of, if not the last podcast, maybe two podcasts ago, Sam, how, uh, you know, the alumni, uh, there's a very uh, disturbing disassociation between the ownership and the alumni of this club. Uh, and you can certainly throw Ed Charles in there. He should have been around forever. Uh, and he should have been very, very uh, familiar to us, to everybody. Uh, doesn't matter how old or young you are. Uh he should have been to Met fans what, uh, if I may, perhaps what Phil Rizzuto was to Yankee fans. You know, there's a whole old generations of of Yankee fans that only know Rizzuto as a, a, as an announcer and a, as a personality, and then there's other generations known, you know, as a player and an announcer. And I'm not saying that Ed Charles should have been an announcer with the Mets, but he should certainly have been. A, a, a mainstream personality around the Mets throughout all these years, and it's a shame he wasn't. And I, and I, you know, if anything, that, that's a that's a message to ownership. Um, if I could jump in here for one minute, I, I heard Ed Randall's talking baseball show this morning, and they talked about Ed Charles. And I'm going to throw one thing out that I had no idea about. Maybe you guys did. You talk about second career, Mike. 
he had a second career as a record producer. Uh, that blew me away. Huh. And if and if you know the song um, by the Five Stair Steps, Ooh Child, Things Are Going to Get Easier, that song, he produced what? that record. He produced That's that record. That's a great record. Um, and great and record, they went right? on to name a few others. Yeah, they went on to name a few other songs that and other bands that he was their producer. Blew me away. Jeez. He just blew me away. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, in fact, like I haven't, I, I, I've probably been so emotional that I've needed that song and I haven't had it. So thank you, Rich. Because <laughs> that song always seems to center me, and the fact that it has a Mets, uh, a, a, a Mets connection now, Ed Charles. My God, that just makes me like it even more. And and like I like to. Um, I like to explore one-hit wonder albums. Like, what's the uh, what's that song? Come on, Eileen, and that band. Oh, by that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, Midnight I, I Runners. To that exactly. Another another unbelievable album that you all should. This is a complete digression, real quick. But Elvin Bishop, the you know the song um, I fooled around and fall, fell in love. That that one sure. hit wonder. That entire album is filled with better songs even though that's probably still overall the best pop song on the album. But it's anyway, the fact that Ed Charles produced Ooh Child, it, I'm just going to be listening to it all day long. Rest easy, Ed Charles. Thank you for your, your blessings in our lives. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, and without further ado, that's how we end a Metzian podcast, a really, really special way to end uh, a Metzian podcast. Thank you for, uh, for looping us around, Rich, into uh, what Ed Charles had, uh, I'm sorry, Ed Randall had to say this morning thank you and thank you ed randall well uh guys the the only way to to finish off with that is to say uh when october rolls around the mets will wear the crown east side west side let's go mets (laughs) let's go mets let's go mets enjoy have a good one everybody